Welcome to Outright TV, a video and podcast series bringing you stories of queer people and allies across the globe. I'm Nazia Saeed, the Arabic Media Coordinator, and for today's episode, I'm talking to Omar Hassan in New York City. Omar, welcome to Outright TV. Thank you. Thank you. Can you please tell us more who you are and how do you identify yourself? Well, I am, my name is Omar Hassan. I uh, identify myself as a male, a man. Um, I'm a transgender. I, I've been in the United States for 10 years. I arrived here in, uh, on October 29, 2010. I will never forget that day. It was a glorious day of my life. My life was saved. Um, uh, I, uh, I work in a, a restaurant as, uh, well, I had, I had several stages in my career. Sometimes it was up and sometimes it was down. Um, I think that's about it. I came here seeking uh, help with my situation. I didn't know what was really going on with me. The word transgender, I, I didn't know it existed until I started talking to uh, Dr. Carol Clark here in the United States. And that's another different, amazing story. I, I, I hope I'll get the time to tell you about it. Um, she's my life. She's my lifesaver and she's my, uh, my God adopted mother here in the United States. Um, when I arrived, I, um, I, have a, I have a family members here from my mom's side, my aunt and my uncle. They, they uh, welcomed me in their house, but as their niece, they didn't know anything about what's happening in my life. I lived, I lived two lives in for 26 years one was secret and private and that was omar's life and the other one was amira's life which the female life the i was born a female and i lived this life just like it was it was the the cover that i hid myself behind so that's like that sums up a little bit yeah. of me. We, we talk we talk more in details sure what, what led you to leave egypt well, this is how it started. When I was eight, eight years old, uh, you know, when I, when I started realizing the, the life around me, like starting to build the character for myself, um, it started by when I went to elementary school one day, my, I, I was in, um, you know, schools in Egypt is different than here. We have five years elementary school, then you move to a different school, a different building for um, a middle school which is three years then you move to another different building another different school for high school which is another three years so my fifth year of elementary school that's when this whole thing started with me um i went one day to the class and and and, and i felt attracted to one of my uh classmates and she was a girl the first five years, the elementary school, that's, the classes are mixed, boys and girls. There is no separation. But once you move to middle school and high school, they separate. The whole school is either girls or boys. There is no mixture there. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's when I started, you know, I didn't question much because I was, I was a, like a baby, basically. Uh, but I, I, I pursued my feelings. I started getting her gifts and, you know, talking uh, normal, like 
I, I felt like a boy want to date this girl. That's how I felt. And that's where the question popped in my mind. What's going on? Um, I think I was like eight or nine. I don't remember my exact age around that time. And then moving forward, the more I grow, the more this feeling grows with me. So teen aging was hell for me because mm. I moved to a school full of girls and I was the only boy there. I always dressed like a boy. Always. I was a tomboy all the time. Um, my hair looked like this, but I had a long, long braid all the way to my waist. So I, I always maintained my hair like that. Um, and I always wore uh, boy clothes, pants and like blazers and shirts for school. So I was very popular among the girls. Um, I wore main cologne until I hit first year of um, high school, I didn't pay much attention to what was going on with me. I just felt attracted to some classmates. Sometimes it was sexual and some, I, I didn't pay much mind. But once I hit high school, that's when uh, the real hard time started because um, my family start questioning my actions and why I dress this way. Uh, they mock me all the time. They even called, they called me uh, men names, but it was like funny name, like old men and stuff like that. Uh, and then my mom sat and he, she had the talk with me about the monthly gift that comes to girls. I didn't, I didn't have it until that time. And um, I told her, I don't know. I don't know why, but it's, I just don't have it. Um, and then, you know, she just disregarded the subject and I never had, um, a close relationship with my parents. I don't know if it's their fault or mine, but I always had a closed life. Mm -hmm. I, I, I kept my life secret for myself. Um, I learned along the way as a parent, you should, if you see your kid, you know, there is something, I'm not going to say something wrong because there was nothing wrong with me. I learned that later, but something different, you should just sit and t just talk with them. But my parents didn't have that ability, I guess, or that mentality. Um, I can't blame them much because they were raised the same way I was. Closed minded culture, you know, gender and sexuality is a red line you don't cross. I'm sure you know that. Mm -hmm. uh, just like religion. And every excuse, everything they related, God said this, God said that, God said, no, you can't do this and you can't do that. Again, along the way, I learned how wrong that was. Um, after high school, um, I hit college. And that was another horrific era in my life. Because once you go to college, you it's boys and girls again, but you have to either look as a female or as a man. There is no in between. So um, I went to college the first year. I only went to um, to try to mend my relationship with the first girl I fell in love with. We were in love since high school. And I had amazing moments with her, but all in secret, of course. We couldn't 
like I couldn't even walk in the street holding her hands. It was wrong and brings a lot of questions. Um, so just the only reason I was going to the college building is just try to mend that relationship with her. And she broke my heart to a thousand pieces in, in horrific ways. Again, I learned why later, 13 years later, I learned why. And my mother was the reason. Uh, the girl, we were, we were very tight in high school, her and I, we were so in love. Even we didn't show it physically, but it, when you meet us, you could tell when somebody loves someone from your eyes, the way you look at each other. So my mom always knew, she always knew. And she always were, she was against all the girls that I felt something for them, like, like sexually or fell in love. But my regular friends, no, they were fine. But the one that I loved, that we talk on the phone and stuff like that, she always had, she gave me a hard time uh, wisdom. Uh, but this one, this one, uh, I was madly in love with her. She was too. And then uh, one day she just changed. We were transferring from high school to college. And she just turned from this woman that madly in love with me to that woman that despised me and, and see me as disgrace and saying things that I, I can't even say it right now because we're on TV basically. But they were very hurtful. Um, two years ago, I connected with her, connected. I never stopped talking to her. Like we talk occasionally, how you doing? But two years ago, we connected again as in love again. And, you know, I told her, I'll come back. We get engaged, we get married. We were, we were meant to be together. If, you know, the years, the time brought us back. But I want to know, why did you do that to me? If you still love me? She said, it was your mother. Do you remember that day that I came for your birthday for your house and you went downstairs, <clears throat> excuse me, to buy some soda? I said, yes. We were 13 years old, her and I. I said, yes, I remember. She said, okay, remember I was in the house with your mother only, right? I said, yes, I remember. She said, your mother threatened me. She said, you need to stop what's going on between you and my daughter. Otherwise, I'm going to go tell your parents. And you know, that means death for you, right? Can you imagine how my face was? I couldn't help it and I started crying. So my mother broke my heart for the first time. And instead of coming and talking to me, she just threatened a 13 year, years old girl with death. Because being gay, and that's what they thought that we were, is death where we come from. Um, they plant this fear in your head from the time you're growing up, that if you leave your family, you'll die. You, 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 as a girl, you move from your family, you're like, you're like something that they own or you're a property. You move from the family to the husband and from the husband to the grave. If there is no husband, it's, and the, the father died, is the brother responsible for you or controlling you. It's not responsible, it's controlling your life. If not the brother, if you don't have a brother, it's your, one of your uncles. It has to be a man controlling what you're doing. Uh, I, it's not that bad now, but my time was like that. Um, so I finished, um, I finished, I, I stopped going to college. I only went to the building three times a year. 
because people were mocking me too. I got a lot of verbal abuse around that college time. Oh my God. I wanted to kill, I, I tried to kill myself twice mm-hmm. around that time because of the verbal abuse that I, I, I uh, faced. Uh, mocking, laughing. Uh, sometimes I got pushed around. It's because how I looked, not because how I speak or who I am. It's because I looked. I remember that one day I, I cried. Um, it was the last, last year of college. And I, I, first of all, I've never attempt to go to any fast food restaurant or a restaurant to buy some food or the bathroom was no, no, no. Because it was either girls or boys, the public bathrooms, not just in college. Uh, so I remember this day I, I, I was starving because I had exams um, and I didn't have breakfast and those, that's one of the three times that I went to the school building to attend my final exams, pay my tuition and get my books. Other than this, nada. I stayed home. Um, but that day, I remember I was starving. I tried to go and get a sandwich really quick, like one, two, three. And unfortunately, there was a line that I had to um, wait on. And behind me, there was these two girls at that time, I had cut my hair really short, like here. And again, I was always dressed like a tomboy. So they were behind me mocking me and laughing. Oh my God, look how she looks. Look how ugly she looks and all that. What happened to her hair? Does she have lice and stuff? You know, these things. And the guy on the counter that was preparing my sandwich, he, he can hear them and he was laughing to what they're saying. And they, that was the first time I defended myself in 20 three years or 24 years. I turned around to the girls and I told them, why are you mocking how I look, my hair or how I dress? Because I had a binder also all the time. So my chest was flat. Can't you think that I might have cancer and I look like this because of the chemotherapy? It might be, you know, and you're just mocking me because what I'm ill. They felt a little bit embarrassed and look at the ground and the guy felt bad. And he was like, here you go. Your sandwiches are ready. And I'm very, very sorry. You don't even have to pay for him. I said, no, you keep the sandwich. Here's the money. I don't want your service. And I just left. I just left. Um, I never attempted to do it again. I would starve to death, but I don't go to buy food from any place. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that was one of the unforgettable incident that I experienced because of the way I looked. Uh, so do we understand that this was continuous and this is how you couldn't, you couldn't continue your life there? Yes. That was like, all, that was like everyday routine. Hmm. Once you, once I'm outside the house, that was everyday routine. Uh, I, uh, most of the time I hid in my car, I ate in my car, but that was later. I, after I finished college, uh, but from elementary school until the last year of college what i described to you that was my life my everyday life if it's not in the street it's in my house too because my mom won't leave me alone especially after she found when when i moved to high school to uh college during high school period i was very closed on myself and depressed all the time so to just release a little I had a diary and I wrote everything I felt in this diary as Omar, everything. And then when 
my high school sweetheart was breaking up with me, I was a mess. I was crying all the time in my room. I didn't let my parents see anything. So the first day I went to college to pay my tuition, my mom went to my room and she searched it like police searching, not regular searching. Mm. And she found the diaries. I hid them very well, but she found them and she read them. I was also smart. Um, when I wrote them, I wrote them in a different handwriting than my, the, my usual handwritings, just in case, you know, I always planned for the worst case scenarios, always, always. Wow. So she, she found them and she read what it was. So she sat me down and we had a conversation. She asked me, what is this? I, I wrote about some intimate moments between my high school sweetheart and I. Uh, some feelings that I had that I wished that, you know, that mm -hmm. I would ex express them. Uh, how I, uh, how I wished, to, how I looked, you know, no, what I wished, how I looked. So I wish to look like a man all the time, like the beard, like how I look like now, you see how handsome I am. I, I wish to look like that back then. So I wrote all of this in my diary and she read it. So when she sat me down to speak to me, this was the conversation. What, what do you know what I read in this in this notebook? I said, yes, I know. That's how I felt, how I feel. I don't understand it. I don't know why is it happening. But unfortunately, that's what's happening. Mm -hmm. She goes, you know, if your father knew about this, he's going to kill you, right? Mind you, I was 15 years old at the time. So, of course, when my mother tell me that, what I'm going to say? I backed down, you know, I told her, look, I don't know why is this is happening. I know if my father knew he's going to kill me, but do you want me to lie to you? She said, well, what you feel is normal because you're a teenager now and you're growing up. There is a lot of hormonal things going on in your body, but you're going to be fine once you get married. <laughs> I was, yeah, I was like, well, whatever you say, mother. She said, do you want me to take you to a doctor to see what's going on and check you up down there and, you know, open you up? And she, she had me like, yes, I, I'm going to take you to a doctor. But the way she described it, I was terrified. No, I'm not going to no doctor to do that to me. Hell to the no. So I told her, look, just forget about it. It will pass. You're right. It's a hormonal, whatever, whatever. But then the next day, Nazia. I, I, was, I was in my room and then I find my both aunts, her sisters in our house, four, four, no, three of my cousins, girls in my, our house, my father and my mother sitting, they're all in the living room. And then I come to join them to, you know, watch TV, whatever. And they, my aunts and my cousins look into me weirdly some they weren't the normal people that i knew mm. you know i mm. was the joy of the family i was the glue that connected the whole family together believe it or not regardless of what was going happen what was happening inside me i kept everybody around me happy just mm. seeking some happiness somehow um then i go to the bathroom to use the bathroom and my cousin comes knock on the door Hey, hey, Amarira, you're okay? I said, yes, why wouldn't I be? She said, no, I'm just checking on you. Don't you do anything to yourself? Boom. My mother told him everything. 
She told him. So that was that was the like disconnect point right there. That's the that's the day that I decided I'm not telling my parents anything ever, and I'm keeping my life for myself I, until I find a solution or understand what's going on. So that day I disconnected them from my life. Especially my father was always mocking me most of the time. Like I remember this one day I was going to um, one of my classes, and I had this uh, men leather bag. It was a men bag, but I loved it. And again, the way I dressed. So he was like, you know, you look so great right now. You know what's the only thing that you're missing? I was like, he was in a mocking tone. I said, yes, father, what? He was like, we need to attach a penis to you. In a mocking words also. I just didn't say nothing. I turned around and I walked away. But in my brain, I said, I wish, but whatever. So and I just walked away. So that was my daily life at home and outside. Yeah. Until God sent me um, this idea, okay, start searching. You need to start searching. And the internet started getting popular. But Naziha, I found no help. Whatever I search, I, like I had to like write, type down what I feel. Because I didn't know what, what is it called. Yeah. Yes. And I knew that I'm not gay. And I'm not saying that gay is wrong. But I wasn't gay because I was, I hated my body. Every time I took a shower, I just wanted to slice myself up just to get out because I felt that I am trapped inside a cage made out of fire. And that cage is my body, my own body. That's the only reason I wanted to get out. Taking a shower was a pain. Going by clothes, oh my God, that was torture. Every single simple routine in your life was just pain for me. Uh, so I start searching. And the only thing I could find on the internet that these surgeries that they do in Taiwan or Thailand, and when you see the pictures, horrific, mm. terrifying. Mm. So I, I really didn't know what was going on until my cousin, I, ha I have a cousin that she was uh, raised here in the United States since she was three. And then around that time, she had joined medical school. I opened up to her and I started telling her how I feel. She told me that there is help for me here in the United States. Mm -hmm. And that's the day that I decided to come to the United States of America. But between the time she told me and the time I got my visa to flee this, that, that country, it was almost four years um, and I tried to seek help there because she told me, try to go to a therapist or a surgeon, like try to find something there until you come here. Mm. I went to two therapists there and one of them stood up and he said, I'm really sorry, but you have to leave. I don't treat gay people. That's what one of them said that. And then I found a surgeon that, um, he, he's a specialist in hermaphrodite cases. Hermaphrodite is the people that was born with both organs, the female and male. Yeah. Mm -hmm. he, he was a relative of my family, but he was like a far relative. He is the brother of the husband of my aunt. Mm -hmm. my, like I, I couldn't even think that he would know me. That's why I went. I went to his clinic. I was shaking that day, sweating all over. I, I didn't know what to say to him, but... I, I still went because I like hit rock bottom. 
I went to the clinic and uh, booked an appointment there. And I, you supposed to wait until the doctor see you inside the clinic, but there was so many people and they were looking at me like, what is wrong with this person? Uh, because of how I looked and why am I going to a man clinic? It was a man clinic. Oh. Yeah. Why am I going to a man clinic? I should go, you know, to OBGYN and, and all these looks. And so I just, I chose to wait in the street. It was almost a hundred degrees out there that day. It was summertime, but I bear the heat. I didn't care. So until my turn came and I went upstairs and I went inside. Oh my God. The moment I walked through the door, I look, I am a twin of my father, literally. So the moment I walked through the door, he recognized me immediately. Immediately. It was like, oh my God, whatever. So I sat and I told him, look, I feel weird. I attracted to women and just my body is not working out. I, I, something is wrong with my body. You know what he did? He put me on a table. He checked my chest. He told me, okay, good. No, no, no. You're absolutely fine. And he gave me female hormones to take. And that will make you feel better. When I bought the medicine and I read what it does, I, I didn't take it because I'm not a woman. I'm not a woman. Inside, I'm not a woman. So those are the type of helps that I could find there. Um, and then I decided to, uh, okay, that's it, done. The day I was coming back from that clinic, I decided to take my life because I had faced so much up to that moment. I was like, that's it, I'm done, done. I, I, I can't do this anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, so I stood on my way back to take the bus, to go back. The clinic was in another city where I live. I lived in Alexandria mm-hmm. and the clinic was in, in another city. It's like far, it was a, an hour, some change drive on the bus. Uh, to take the bus, I had to cross some railroads and I decided to just stand there and let the train take me that day. I, I had made up my mind. It's like, okay, there's no hope for me. What I'm going to do? I can't live like this. Mm-hmm. Um, and I stood up on the train track. I, I, I will never forget that day. And I closed my eyes and I was waiting for the train to just come and take me away. Just release me. Let me go. And I was pulled from my shirt like this off the track by an old woman. I've never met her in my life. Uh, I, you know what? I didn't even ask for her name. I don't even know her name, but she was like, why, why, why are you doing this? Why God give you life for a reason. You exist on this earth for a reason. You decide in it that you don't want to continue the message that God want to send through you. It's just being ungrateful. You're going through a hard time, be patient. God got you. He created you. He got you. You're going through. I don't know why she did this, why she said that, but that, those words went through to my heart. And that day I, decided, I cried and I, I gave her a hug and I told her, thank you. I promise you I will never do this ever again. Mm-hmm. And I just walked away thinking. I didn't even think her name I didn't ask what your name was. I didn't thank. I just said, thank you. I gave her a hug. She walked away and I walked away. 
But that day I decided I'm, I'm not gonna, no, I'll live, I'll fight for myself. She was right, God created me for a reason. And me coming to United States, that's another story if you wanna, you know, ask me another question. Yeah, well, we, we have to, to jump into the coming to the United States. Like, how did it go and how has it been so far? Well, look, ob obtaining the United States visa from that part of the world, it's nearly impossible. You have to be either extremely, like, filthy, wealthy, or has a higher position in the government. And I had a chance to get both, but you know, not everything as sweet as it looks. There was a price I had to pay for to get that. Mm -hmm. um, I had a relative that got married to a very powerful man in Egypt and I was very, very close to her. She was like my sister. I even raised her daughter. Um, she's my daughter now. Uh, she, her husband, offered me a job in his office and he when i he he was both he was powerful in the government and he was filthy wealthy so me working for him it will give me the same privilege as they do but unfortunately taking this job i had one condition i had to look an absolutely sexy female and that for me that was oh my god that was fire for me but you know what i told myself at the time I got to tell you about the love of my life. At the time I had met the love of my life. Uh, she was my backbone. She was the one that pushing me. It's okay. Just be patient. Go, keep going. And how I met her and how we, we stayed together, that's, that's another story. And whenever I tell people about it, they told me, you need to make this a movie. You're going you're gonna to hit the box office more than Twilight. <laughs> uh, but um, I took the job and I moved to another city for, it, it, the job was in Cairo uh, I tried to bear what they wanted me to do the clothing stuff and the makeup that they wanted me to wear and the hairdressing stuff I just closed my eyes and let it be you know and I kept telling myself it's just the last tip and then you'll be safe. Just bear it. Just bear it. Just bear it. Until this day came. I was trying to get to apply for my visa and stuff. But I had to be smart about it. Because at, at this point, I had applied four times and I got refused. Mm. I didn't get it. Mm. Um, so I had to be smart about it this time. Um, so I had saved some money on the side from the job. And... Uh, and I had a plan in motion. My plan was, look, I am, I, let me apologize to the U.S. government and the embassy through you about the lie that I did. But trust me, I swear to God, I had no other option. No other option. If I hadn't committed that lie, I, I would be in the grave in a box right now. Uh, there was this guy that he wanted to marry me. I don't know why, but he wanted to. Uh, and, you know, my parents knew about it and they were harassing me every single day about it. Why don't you take him? Why don't you take him? He's a fine man. It's like, okay, you need to leave me alone. And I 
kept like pushing it away, pushing it away for two years. But when I took this job, I said, okay, let's plan this out. If I go to the American embassy and apply as a honeymooner with my position and my income, I'll get it. And that's what I did. I spoke to that guy that wanted to marry me. I told him, okay, look, I'm going to do it. But it's one condition. We go to the American embassy. We apply for the visa as a honeymooners. We get it. We get married and we go there and continue our life. We don't get it. We go in our, our separate ways. He agreed to my conditions. He, he was the weirdest human being I've ever met. <laughs> He's a friend of mine now. Can you believe it? We still friends. Uh, so I did it. I went to the before I go to the American embassy. I, I kept delaying, delaying the appointment just to get as solid as I could. But what pushed me to get it like really quick, I was like, okay, we, I can't wait anymore. I remember this day, my, my relative, they called me upstairs. We lived in a four stories building. Uh, it was a big villa, but it was uh, four stories. So she, she, she lived upstairs and I lived all the way downstairs. They called me up that day. Of course, they tried their best to make me look like a female. They tr was clothing, makeup, hairstyle. But I'm, I'm a man. I looked like a man all the time. But they called me up that day and they said, come, we need you upstairs. So I went upstairs and I sat with them and there was somebody sitting on my right. And I sat right in the middle and I remember them, like uh, my relative, her husband, her mom, and her dad was sitting and this guy that I didn't know. So this guy gets, I sit down and this guy gets up. He held my fist like this, right? And he goes, oh, no, no, no. We're going to cut right here. We cut right here. Maybe some Botox right here. Maybe we split the eyebrows a little The eyebrows and I was like, what the hell is going on? So he's holding my face, talking to them, telling them, about what he's going to do to my face to make it look more feminine. C can you imagine? Like, I had no rights. No, I can't. I had no rights as a human being. That day, I was like, okay, that's it. I need to get out of this country. That's it. I'm done. Yeah. Uh, before that, there was the mall shopping and pushing me around. And I, it was too much. But... Uh, I went downstairs that day and I called her, the love of my life. And I said, oh my God, I can't do it. I was bursting in tears. I can't do this anymore. I can't. It, it, I had been in the job for, I think, three months. I can't do it. I can't do it. They pushing it too hard now. Like the clothing, the, all this I can bear. But now they want to cut my face. She said, look, you are the most important thing in this life to me. If you can't bear this anymore, screw it. Just come. And we stay however we are. I love you. You love me. And that's what all matters. So I hang up with her and I had decided to just go back and screw this. I'm not doing it anymore. But you know what, Naziha? I sat with myself like this on the bed. And I remember thinking, I bared all this torture and abuse for 26 years. Cannot, can I bear it for one more week? Because I had scheduled my visa appointment. Just one more week, Omar. If I had quit that day, I would lose everything. Uh, and I did. I, I called her. I said, look, it's just one more week. I'm going to bear it. Whatever happens. They want to cut my face. Hell with it. Let them cut my face. What uh, 
I didn't let them. I, I told them to, okay, no problem. I'll have, I'll have the plastic surgery, but my, my visa appointment was on the 28th of September. Uh, I told them, oh, let's schedule the, uh, the, the surgery for October 1st or 2nd, whatever, but anytime in October, because I knew I'm going to leave right away. So, um, I went to my visa appointment with the guy. I, I had to dress up like a female, unfortunately. I wear a ring and everything. We went to the, the, the embassy. They didn't ask me any questions. <laughs> for the first time, before, for the four first time before, they interrogate me like I'm a criminal. But that time when I went, because the company name was on my application and the owner of the company was down there too. And he is very well known. And they saw that I was his office and business manager. They didn't ask me any question. One question, you know what they asked me? Why, why are you marrying this guy? <laughs> because in his application, he wasn't making that much money. <laughs> I laughed and I told him, you know what? Love is crazy. What can I say? Yeah. They approved my visa immediately. Immediately, I got my visa. But he didn't because his name was Muhammad. They told him they got to do a, some background check, whatever, for three months. And then he'd get it later. And he got it three months later. How is it going so far in the States? Oh, my God. I love my life. One thing that, that I hated to do before, like taking pictures or being on video or going to weddings. Oh my God, going to weddings. That was like, like a, a horror movie for me because you know, you know, we write our, our weddings. You have to dress up and stuff like that. Um, but now before I used to hide from the camera, like go down, you know, in the weddings, they go to videotape families and relatives. I used to hide and go under the table. I didn't want to be anywhere. But now I'm like this on every camera. And I take pictures of myself every day. I love myself and I love my life. Thank God. I thank God, Naziha, every single day that I listen, that he sent that woman to me to save me. To huh. save me. Now, remember I told you I had Dr. Clark, that my mom. Um, when I came here to the United States in the beginning, uh, again, I didn't know what was going on with me. So I start searching online. And the minute I typed what I felt, a video popped on Google about her talking about something called transgender. So I played the video and every, sing every single word she said, she was describing exactly how I felt. So I connected with her through email. You know what she did the first, when she responded to my email, she didn't ask anything, which is one question. She said, what do you want me to call you? Address you with what name? That made my whole entire life. Can you believe this? So I told her and we start, you know, going back and forth and emails and stuff like that. Uh, she addressed me as Omar from day one. We had a couple of sessions on the phone. At the time, I was still living with my aunt in Jersey. But somehow they found out that I am talking to a doctor. But they didn't care to ask me why. They only thought that I'm talking to somebody because I'm gay. And I, want, I, I wanted to come to the United States to sleep around with women and live the gay life. No? 
it, my aunt did confront me with this and she told me that to my face and my uncle too that I wanted to do that um, so things got really bad with my family here they uh, called my parents and they told them that I'm gay and all of that lies uh, my parents on the phone let me tell you they were off the hook life-threatening and you're a sinner you deserve to die your blood is like if they slice me and I believe that's fine because I deserve it and all these things. And I, you know, I listen and I'm hurt. So I didn't know what to tell him. I told my mother, listen, I tried to speak to you about this long time ago, but you scared me. So what do you want me to do? I'm, I need to find a decent life for myself. If you want to disown me, that's your choice. What can I do? Only because I said this and I started defending myself only because of Dr. Carol. She switched my mind to the right state. I always thought that there's something wrong with me. It wasn't. I was just different. You know what? I believe now that I am really special. I got to live the best of both worlds. I was a female and now I'm a, I'm a decent man who get to experience this. You know? Very few. Yeah. She told me, she taught me all these things. She, she sat my mind straight because I was like, I had a blender in my brain, a blender just going on every single day. She okay. helped me straight up my thoughts. She also, um, when things got so bad with my family, my aunt had kicked me out to the streets. Uh, she also told me that she wanted me to get out because uh, I am a disease and she didn't want me to spread to her um, children. Mm -hmm. I remember that day push me around and it was really really bad uh i went to the streets i didn't care it was a snowy day we had a snowstorm the snow was like up here to my my waist my suitcases was was thrown in the street was my bike i took him and i went to the the hotel where i used to work they spoke to the guy because the guy was my uncle's uh friend to fire me to just let me go. Otherwise, they would call immigration on me, you know, stuff like, because I had tourist visa at the time. And the guy did fire me. He had much, you know who helped me? The owner of the hotel who had no religion. He was an atheist guy, a human being. He helped me. He gave me a room for free. He listened to me, him and his um, partner. She was a lady. She was so kind. She gave me a hug. She said, listen, don't worry about it. Why are you crying? There is a room right there. You stay there until you find a safe place to stay. They helped me. They, they were in my blood. They, had, they were atheists. I'm not saying that all Muslims people are bad or radical, but they have a lot of close-minded ideas. Just sit and listen to me. My uncle asked for me to go and speak to him. You know, he wasn't asking what's wrong with me or why I'm doing this. He was yelling, shouting on my face. Why are you disgracing me in a community that I had built a good reputation in? I said, that's it. That's all you have to say. He said, you're a fine young lady. I don't know why you're doing this. I said, how do you know I'm a fine young lady? You've never, I've never had a life with you. You've lived here in 20 years. I don't even know you as a human being. So how do you know me? It's because I was born female. They, they like that, you know? They don't, I haven't met someone throughout the 27 years of my struggle that sat me down and asked me nicely and peacefully, 
what's happening with you. Let's solve this. If, let's, let's find a way for you to live right. The first one was Dr. Clark. Yeah. She sent me to, I'm sorry to interrupt you. She sent me to, um, that day my aunt kicked me to the street. Dr. Clark, I don't know how she did it, but she did it. She did some phone calls and she got me to a homeless shelter in uh, New York. Uh, I got through, I got to the homeless shelter through a, a, a woman, God bless her soul. Her name is Jay Tools. She's like the commissioner of the LGBT community in New York. She saved me. She found this home for me, the homeless shelter. And then um, I also, Dr. Clark connected me to the LGBT community in New York. Those people are God's soldiers on earth, literally. They helped me from A to Z, everything I needed, counseling, guidance. They connected me to immigration equality. Who's, uh, you know what I called immigration equality? I don't know if they told you. I called them angels on earth because they are. They are. That, that was my next question. Like, how did immigration equality help you in your journey? And Well, first, the LGBT community center in New York, they, uh, they connected me with them. And they also connected me with Callan Lord, the clinic where I got my hormones and my 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 uh surgery well no i got guidance to, to the surgery through mm -hmm. them so they, they like connected network and they give you resources where you know you get this and you get that so me connecting with immigration equality i was at uh in the shelter at the time the homeless shelter and uh, the lgbt community center i was attending the social action group and also um I had private session with a man called George Fesser. Let me tell you about this man and what he did for me. This man, I don't know how to describe him, but let me thank him through you. I hope one day he will see that video and, and my words get to him. One day, um, the woman that I love that I told you about, her family found out about our relationship right and they beat her up and tortured her for a month the day they found out naziha that she's she's in a relationship with me first they called me the freak of nature they like they told and your they called their daughter your i'm sorry excuse my language but they said the f word that you're fucking gay and you're going to die. We're going to kill you. They beat her up so bad that day that she fell on the table. She cut her lip here, bleeding. She has asthma. They wouldn't give her, her the inhaler and they just locked her in the room. So we wanted her to die. And when, when she fainted, they had no choice but to get the doctor to her. I, I didn't know about all of this. I, I knew through her friend when she went to visit her one day, they wouldn't let anybody visit her for the first week. But when her friend went and visited her, she, she left and she called me and she told me all of this. Oh my God, I was going crazy. I was going crazy. I was in the shelter. I, I left my room. I, I ran to my caseworker in the shelter. I was in tears and I told her what's happening. Her name was Miss Erica. Okay, from this moment forward, I'm going to tell you the name of my heroes, all of them. Yeah. Miss er 
Miss Erica and I had Miss Hernandez. Miss Hernandez was my cool, my caseworker in the shelter, and Miss Erica was the shelter manager. I went to Miss Hernandez first, crying, bursting in tears. She canceled her her appointment, and she sat with me to listen what's happening. So I told her. She tapped my shoulder and she told me, "It's gonna be okay. Don't worry. God is here." She took my hand to Miss Erica. Look at this. I was in a homeless shelter. Miss Erica was the manager of that shelter. I went to her office and sat down and I told her what's happening while I was trying. You know what Miss Erica did, Nazia? She went to her pocketbook. She gave me her unlimited Metro card. You know how much this card, right? She gave it, the woman didn't know me, but she heard about my behavior in the shelter and I caused no problem. I was a very peaceful person. Uh, she gave me her unlimited Metro card. She said, take this. Do you have somebody to help you in that situation? I said, yes, my caseworker in the LGBT center, but I can't go there. She said, take this, do whatever you need to do. I'm going to wait here for you. Make sure you call me and let me know everything is okay. I said, Miss Erka, but I can't take, she said, take the card and go right now. And I did. I took the card. I ran to the, the LGBT community center. Uh, I had, didn't have appointment or anything, but when they saw me at the front office, they called George and they told him what's, how I looked. I didn't tell him what's happening, but they told him how I looked. George came out of his office running to me to the front. He said, come, come, let's go, let's go. I went to his office. He canceled all these sessions for emergencies, which I was the emergency. And he sat with me and he said, don't worry, we'll get this. Don't worry, we'll save her. She's going to be fine. And he did a thousand phone calls that day, a thousand. He called the human rights organization. He called so many people. I don't even remember who they were, but they made a call to her house. They told her family, listen, we are the human rights organization. We have police officers in the United Nations. If you hurt this girl, we're coming for you. Mm -hmm. And that made them stop the torture. Because her friend told me every time they pass her room and they hear her crying, her brother or her mother, they go in and beat her up more. That's a scary. Are they, can you, do you consider these human beings? I don't think so. I don't think so. But then uh, after that, they stopped and I kind of had a little bit of peace of mind and I, I start planning to get her out of there. And I did, I got her out and I got her an apartment there, but you know, a girl living on her own in an Arabic country, I'm sure you know what that means. Yeah, she, it's she not faced, the easiest. Uh, she faced a lot, of, a lot of hard times. The human rights organization, they couldn't get her out of the country, but they helped save her from her family a little. Like, they, they got scared. Yeah. Um, but unfortunately, after a few months, they, they found her. She was shopping somewhere, and they found her, and they took her back to the house. From that day until today, she lost to all her rights as a human being. No freedom. She can't get at the house unsupervised. She can go out with her friends. Just the other this last week, she was telling me she was crying. She she told me that her she's she was telling she's thirty two years old now, right? She has her own job. She's financially independent, but she lives with them, right? Because that's how it goes. You can't leave your family unless you're dead or married. Uh, she was telling her mom that she's, she was going for uh, two days, 
summer vacation uh, for the north coast, some, some place on the beach in Alexandria. It was a no-no. It was another fight. It was another beat up, another crime. I told her, okay, listen to me. If you pack your bag like this, right? And go to the door and tell him I'm going. What are they going to do to you? Tell me. You're, you're, are they going to kill you? You're already dead, sweetheart. What you, the life that you're living, you're already dead. But let me tell you what immigration equality did for her and for me. When I was in the, the shelter and all this was happening was my life, they filed for my asylum, right? I don't know how they did it, Naziha, but they got me an interview in three months for me being in a shelter, three months. I went to the interview with, um, they, they had found me a lawyer, uh, Veronica and um, Nizan. I'm not going to forget them. They did so much work, so much work calling overseas and getting affidavit. They tried to get the affidavit from uh, the girl that I told you that the love of my life. I don't want to mention her name because I don't want no problems for her. Um, and my brother, right? So they, they, they sent the affidavit to my brother and her to get it notarized from Egypt. My brother almost got arrested for that. The only thing that saved them that he is a Navy officer, engineer. So he, he told him, oh, I don't know what this is about, you know, and they let him go from the police station. And he called her right away, do not come because they're going to arrest you. Don't come. So they couldn't get it notarized. They just sent it to me and, and thank God, thank God that asylum officer understood the situation and just get it, got, took it that way. Um, so they did all these phone calls. They, if I show you my, my asylum file, it's that big, literally. Sure. A lot of pictures with George. And we went to the New York committee meeting once and uh, they had in interviewed me and they asked me about um, you know, my life. And how is my life in a shelter? Is it safe? How you like him? And I responded with one thing. I told him, sir, let me tell you this. I feel safer in the shelter right now than I ever felt in my family home. Well, like, wow. Well, I'm glad that we have this for you, to help you. I was undocumented. I had no papers. I had no income. And New York City helped me a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot. And I'm grateful for them. That's great to hear, Amar. That's great to hear that uh, they were uh, good people. Were no, they are amazing people. They, yeah. they make the impossible happen. Yeah, we're sent your way to make your life better, to, to enlighten you, to yes. make you aware of who you are. I'm really happy to talk to you, Amar, and to hear Thank all you. about you. And I'm sure like a life of more than 30 years, like we can't just minimize it in, in less than an, one hour. And I'm sure there is more interesting stories that we would like to, to hear from you maybe next time. Maybe. But, yeah. I'm 36, by the way. So yeah, more than <laughs> six years. So, yeah, all of these stories, they are very interesting. I'm happy to, to, that you are happy now and that you reached who, who, and you are living the life what you want or... Who, who are you at the moment? Thank you. Wish me luck because I booked my flight to Egypt next Friday. Not tomorrow, but the Friday next. <laughs> I am meeting my family 
they accepted me, they loved me, they want me to come, and they welcoming me with open arms in the airport. I can't tell you how much that means to me. It does mean a lot. After all what I went through with them through the years, um, more importantly, I'm going to meet her, the love of my life. So wish me luck. Get out of the airport safely. Uh, I have my American passport. I'm a proud American citizen. Um, I am concerned but happy about the trip i am finally facing my final demon <laughs> my final fear um it's a big deal to me so please wish me luck and, and and i'm honored to be on your channel today and i wish happiness luck and safe and peace of mind for all my lgbt community brothers and sisters out there god bless you all remember we all special nothing wrong with us we're just special definitely and thank you so much and best of luck for your this trip i'm sure thank it's going to be a huge thing and i hope that you're going to go through all of this safe please let us know how does it go when you come back or when you are there Omar, thank you thank you so much you're for welcome. taking this time to speak with me and to share your life and your experience for for outright tv and um, and to share it with our audience and we are happy that you reached where you are now and and that you. you are like you went through a lot but you are also like could get over all the obstacles that you are facing and we wish you a very happy love life as well since you get <laughs> you're inviting to my wedding i'm inviting you to my wedding if it happens <laughs> it will be my pleasure it will thank be you. my pleasure Thank this you. was Naziha Saeed and I spoke to Omar Hassan in New York. My colleagues and I will come back soon with more series. Thank you so much for watching.